0: You know what really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah, tell about punk.
1: What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. And I am your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And
2: today we are talking to Nicole O'Neill and Greg O'Neill, no relation, of the band Wife Patrol. Um, and we,
1: what are we talking about today, Dylan? So we are talking about the 1985 album Flip Your Wig by Husker Du, the second of two LPs by Husker Du in 1985. It's a big year. Yeah, this this conversation is
2: really fun. Nicole and Greg are very much of the same type of music nerd as us, (laughs) like very free, freely hopping from topic to topic. And uh, yeah, this is a really, really fun conversation.
1: I think we did a good job of tying things together, though. It's not it's not too discursive. Um, White Patrol just put out their debut full-length
2: album, Too Prickly for this world. You can get it on their Bandcamp as well as their website and I'll include links to all that in the show notes. Um, easily one of my favorite records of 2020. Uh, we played one of their songs on our radio episode and uh, it's just just a fantastic record. I highly recommend people check it out. And you can find us on all forms of social media or on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at PunkLotopod. We have an email address as PunkLottoPod at gmail.com leave us a review we haven't had any new reviews in a while that's always fun when we get a new one um yeah hopefully you enjoy the show you don't want me this is
0: just your greed degree and i'm just a trophy for private viewing only and i don't want any lip i'm sick of hearing about your mother's tattoos be sure and table that
2: indianapolis like i've I've never been there i don't think i've ever been to indiana either
3: what is it like what is a city like (laughs) it's like you know it's uh what's the size how do you know about how big phoenix is like population wise dylan
1: um phoenix is i can't remember the number off the top of my head but it's like the in the top 10 it's like sixth or fifth largest city
3: okay so that's so once you get like Beneath the top 10, I think you start memorizing how populous your city is so that you can kind of compare it to all the <laughs> cities around you. But it's so we're like like a million people. So, you know, but it's a very sprawled out city. It's kind of an artificially big city because it's a county sized city. So it's like uh, not very dense, but the downtown. I don't know. Nicole, help me out. What is this question always stumps us?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I've lived in Indiana since I was nine. And I've lived in the two largest cities, Indianapolis and Fort Wayne, besides being in Bloomington for school. But they all seem like small towns clustered together to make a city. Yeah. (laughs) You can say you're in the city, but you don't like it's not a city like going to New York is a city. (laughs) There's a downtown core and there's stuff. But for the most part, it's still a lot of small towns that are clustered together to make the city and very different like identities across different parts of town. That's how I see Indiana in terms of its like city vibe. There are cities, there are things like buses and infrastructure, but it's not near as connected as a city. <laughs> 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 is, is cable television. To
1: to, is Indianapolis in size comparable to Louisville?
3: It's a lot bigger than Louisville. I think Louisville is something like, 300,000 or something yeah. but uh, I could be wrong about that but it's like it, it's a bigger city than it feels like Indianapolis so I guess you, really what
2: I ask is more like is it is it cool like is there like a cool
3: scene like that's an art the scene that's, there <laughs> is there are scenes there's bands asking, though,
4: like <laughs> most musicians we're, we're, were nerds for the most part and then we got instruments and like <laughs> yeah. to do. So, like, what really
0: is cool?
3: (laughs) Have we ever really been cool? It has has no, I think, like, if you're asking, is it cool? The answer is no. It has no, like, cachet. So, in that way, it's not cool. But it's, like, virtually any other American city, over 500,000 people, where it's got, like, its own history, its own scene history, its own bands. Like, Zero Boys were the big, like, early punk band in Indie. There were, like, Para Ubu and Devo played here, like, early on. Um, We had, like, our punk and new wave club, Crazy Owls in the 80s, and that kind of got stuff. When Black Flag would come on tour, they had, like, whatever, a VFW or, like, an empty storefront or something that they would play in. And so we were part of the, like, punk rock 80s tour route that also went through places like Pier, you know, (laughs) South Dakota or whatever. And so, like, you know, it's part of many cities like that. But... As jazz
4: here
3: too. one of yes like as far as music in general goes not just punk but it has an r&b scene from the 60s and 70s that's largely forgotten i think though there's still some people carrying the torch it has like west montgomery's from indianapolis so there's for uh, almost you know probably 80 years there's been a consistent jazz scene in indianapolis that also no one knows about except for the people who kind of carry the torch for jazz in the 21st century and people who Kind of take it seriously, I guess. But for punk and uh, rock, like indie bands, it's never had a scene that broke nationally, and it's surrounded by Chicago, Detroit, and all the Ohio punk towns. So it's you, kind of like hard to distinguish, I think, from you, along ha- all
1: that. you have the eff- you have the same effect as like Phoenix. Phoenix is a huge city, but historically, it doesn't have like a great scene. Though there, I mean, there are notable. Obviously, some pretty big name bands to me, world, and yeah. that have you know broken from from Phoenix. Well, the Phoenix Metro, because um, I think most of them are like East Valley bands. Actually, like um, what's their names? Jen uh, Blossoms were like from Tempe. Tempe, uh, yes. Um, yes. Not a <laughs> lot of bands actually from Phoenix proper. Like maybe JFA. <laughs>
3: That's um, yeah, it's similar. Yeah, but it,
1: but it's like the we're so close to L.A. That so many people just they just go to L.A. if they yeah. want to play in music they just move to L.A. Yeah,
3: we're that's yeah. our Chicago.
4: It does have to be said that the Jacksons are from Gary,
3: Indiana. I know mean,
2: that's definitely there worth mentioning. Got <laughs> that. We got that.
3: Yeah, that is that is they're region rats, but they are in our borders, so we lay claim <laughs> to the Jackson family.
4: I still can't link that to being a scene that got big,
3: but. they <laughs> maybe- <laughs> Yeah, truth be told, that's Detroit and Chicago, but still.
0: But yeah.
2: Charlotte kind of has that same problem. Like, the most famous North Carolina, like, hardcore band was Corrosion of Conformity. And they were from more, like, eastern North Carolina, like, Greensboro
1: area. Raleigh, I think.
2: Yeah. Like, anti-scene is Charlotte's, like, classic punk band. And they're, like, you know, redneck punks with, like, (laughs) with Confederate (laughs) flags and all their stuff. So, like, yeah. They're not cool, and then like yeah, Black Flag would do the the milestone. That was like the one stop on the way down, I guess. If they were going to Atlanta, maybe. But yeah, it's right. It, I guess everybody would just go to DC if you're from this area and you wanted oh, to be in, like yeah, a cool punk band. It's like five hours north or something like that. Six hours.
3: It's tough when when your city never had like a nat- like a scene that broke or like we're you know talking about Husker Du like Minneapolis was huge. Like for nationally, for like, you know, a, a few reasons in the mid 80s, like first and foremost, Prince, but then also, uh, you know, Husker doing the replacement, like both signing to national labels kind of at the at the same moment. But if you're if your city just doesn't have that one good year where a couple <laughs> of bands do something huge, it's like you never get critical mass to have people know who the fuck you are. And you never get like. You never get
1: that scene that sustains itself of people who are like, oh, I want to go there because that's where all the bands are. Exactly. I mean, it's like two bands, but... Yeah.
3: And like that,
4: Babyface is and... in Indianapolis. And what? He's, Babyface grew up in Indianapolis and is one of the, like, top R&B writers and producers, but he's not associated with Indianapolis. Like, he comes back every now and then. It's not like he's gotten identity here. Like, John Hyatt, the songwriter, is from Indianapolis. And, like, he's written so many songs that have been in movies and all sorts of things, but, like, does not live here anymore like now he's kind of a more natural person so there's people and there are, but then they leave because yeah because this is what this is indiana
3: <laughs> there are there are like uh there's a rap scene in indie like there's kind of an indie rap scene and then there's also like a, a more straight rap scene that has national acts that actually tour and sell albums but they kind of exist like since rap doesn't have, I guess, maybe the punk infrastructure or something that was built in the 80s, like it was so just in New York or so just in L.A., that now, even now, people in Indianapolis do not know these rap stars that are actually kind of big names in, like, certain rap circles on the internet. And it's like, the, you know, they're living here in our city and you just don't know.
2: Yeah, like, Charlotte's got uh, baby now. Like, she's kind of blowing up. Yeah, so, like,
3: if I've heard of the but, name, it must be a big name. Yeah. Right, right.
4: My stepbrother into that and, like, put this video on last year at Christmas, and we're all like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's
3: real Christmas music.
2: <laughs> baby feels kind of like a throwback to, like, early 2000s hip-hop, like the, like the show-off, like, Nelly-style, like, looking all the bling and the yeah. cars and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, it's funny that, like mainstream hip-hop kind of had, like, a a cooler wave with, like, the, the more trap-based beats and then, yeah. you know, uh, like, the more Kendrick Lamar's, you know, like, the cool show-off rap wasn't, like, the mainstream rap for a while.
3: Yeah, and, it's, yeah, it, it, well, I don't know We don't going to go off on a tangent. I had lots of thoughts about that, what? but. Yeah, we're
1: getting into territory where we really don't know what we're talking about. So yeah. <laughs> I can't speak to, with much authority on hip hop in
4: 2020. <laughs> I, uh, the uh, there was a band I kept trying to think of. I'm like, what was that one band that covered that one song <laughs> from Indiana? And it was the Atari's who covered The Boys of Summer. Uh, um, but they also kind of fizzled out. <laughs> like, like they had this moment. Everyone's like they're from Anderson, Indiana, which is like just north of Indy, and then it was like fizzled out.
2: <laughs> For a minute there, they were like huge. Like Boys of Summer was like a radio hit. There yeah. was, a and slew... then they were. Oh, sorry. And, well, they and they were like the the sort of emo like Warped Tour scene, mm-hmm. and then just poof, disappeared. Like
4: <laughs> there was a and slew of bands like that. California. So there's there you go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they moved to Santa Barbara, California. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, they I think well, they just never really had like a proper follow-up original single cuz I only yeah. ever heard Boy, Boys of Summer. They didn't they didn't really play anything, at least not on our radio stations in North Carolina. They didn't play anything else from that album.
4: Also, the list of former members of this band is quite ridiculous for how not memorable yeah. they are. <laughs> it's like a million.
1: Oh, I, he, apparently he's like really difficult. <laughs> like the lead singer who's like the primary guy in the band. From from what I've read, he's like fired people on tour and he's Oh man. He's kind of and he still does that. And he plays like DIY clubs.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's a real real Paul Anka. Just yeah.
1: gotta put it together
4: for that one cover song, dude. Keep it together.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, like anybody who makes a whose hit is just a cover is That's not a bummer. <laughs> you're never going to like really take off. Like who else got? Who else got stuck with that? Uh, alien. alien
3: ant
0: farm. Yeah, I was
2: gonna say <laughs> alien ant farm. Is everyone place. about
3: to say alien ant farm? Was... <laughs> now wait for Nicole. Nicole's got a whole thing coming. <laughs> I love that band.
2: <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Hey, Boopies is a great single too. I mean, it's definitely an underrated.
4: <laughs> Two more albums after that that were still good, but there was a there was an incident with a bus. There was a bus accident on tour, slowed a lot of things down for them. Had to like, then their label had label changeover situations that just got a really raw deal. I will, I will stand on that for Alien Ant Farm. That was, that was a great fucking band.
3: <laughs> Nicole was playing me some Alien Ant Farm. Was it, I uh, must, I mean, it couldn't have been this year because we wouldn't have been in the same like confined space, but it must have been last year playing some Alien Ant Farm, listening to it. I had let's to it. They were like slightly after my high school time of listening to a band like that. So it, I, when, I was, when I was working at the pizza place, Alien Ant Farm hadn't broken yet, so we didn't get a lot of that back in the dishwasher. But uh, <laughs> Papa Roach had only just materialized.
0: Alien Ant Farm
4: is like my summer band. Like right when it's starting to feel like summertime, I usually am like, okay, so I'm put that album on like bring them back
2: out. Well, I've said it on the show multiple times in the past. I'm a big Eve 6 fan, so and I will stand their second album like <laughs> to, that the one know. with the
3: cartoon lady on the front
2: yeah, no, yeah yeah like and that record is like a pop punk record so like it it i i will defend that record so i i feel you with the alien Ant farm <laughs> love so <It> was solid <laughs> i i guess we can uh, talk about uh your band
1: uh <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad idea, Ray, what's, your, uh, what's your big cover that's gonna break you? To I was the gonna mainstream? say, yeah. What's
3: our '80s new wave cover we're gonna use to get onto the charts? <laughs> well, we—I uh, guess B52s. We did. We do dance this mess around from the B52s first album every now and then. We have. I guess we have. No, we did. We played it on a stream recently. Before that, though, we haven't played it in a while. I don't know.
0: It's a
4: good song, though, man. That band, that album is so good, and. I think it's just one of the perfect examples of like I was born in '88, so I was like tail end of the '80s, 90s, I feel was just like the culture of the compilation album being sold on TV. you know so everything was about the greatest hits. you get you get totally disco, you get uh, pure moods. Does anybody remember pure moods with oh, the, yeah. like, <laughs> that commercial was ridiculous) um, <laughs> But it took band like bands like B fifty twos got such a short end with that because like all you heard was Love Shack. Mm-hmm. And like same with Devo, all you heard was with it. And it wasn't until a lot later in life that I like rediscovered their like more full catalogs. I was like, these are freaking amazing bands. Like to have heard them at the time that they came out because they were so different in terms of their sound and their style would have been so interesting and so cool and so different from what was going on then. Um, so that's just really how I feel about that B fifty twos album. It's such a great just piece of history for that band and for the time that it came out because it's it's so rad and if you only heard love shack you would miss all of that like nuance of like what's great about the b-52s
3: but if we don't cover love shack we're not going to be huge nicole
0: (laughs) (laughs) well
2: i like those first two b-52s records are amazing from like beginning to end are just incredible records like the album with love shack on it is good but like it definitely suffers from, here's the single, like, in the middle of the album. So, like, those first two feel like, oh, those records are great.
3: Well, and bef- before uh, uh, the, uh, her brother died, the guitarist, like, it seemed like he was kind of, I mean, obviously, <laughs> they had their most successful years after that, but with him in the band, they had their most, like, I don't know, like, just unkillable music like love shack i have fully absorbed at this point in my life and i maybe don't need to hear it again but those first especially yeah two albums like i can listen to them all day all day long and i think a lot of that's uh comes from the song of the guy whose name i can't remember but. yeah
2: because it's definitely well rock lobster is on the first record right yeah yeah and it always feels like a novelty song when you're listening to that record Compared to the rest of the songs. But then like the second one's got like Private Idaho, which is like a fucking phenomenal song. Yeah, <laughs> that's
3: like they get it's like one of those bands where the sound is so like novelty, but the songs are so sticky and good that it it's like it transcends novelty. Yeah,
2: Devo had a little bit of that, too. But even their yeah. songwriting is amazing.
3: Yeah. And it's weird that they were such like punks and, you know, by all accounts, like misanthropes. Because they're such pop geniuses and they can do such pop things like seemingly at will there for like four or five years in the 70s and 80s. I just love like how they put all of that together in
4: terms of even like the live performance. Everything was just like planned to a T with like the outfits they wore, the moves that they had, the way that they played their instruments. It was just so interesting to watch.
1: Yeah, I love those. Uh, the, they were weird. They did such weird stuff too. For being a band that was able to cross over to the pop, to the mainstream so easily. Like they would like take all of the gu- strings off their guitars, except for like two. <laughs> and like, just like, cause they only needed those two strings for the notes that they were playing. And they had like a ring modulator taped to the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Big, giant harmonics pedal, just like taped onto the body of a Telecaster. <laughs> like just Brilliant.
2: crazy stuff. I- I'm glad you brought up B-52s first because I've listened like i listened to your album quite a few times. I actually have it right behind me. I don't know the lighting's really bad, but Oh yeah. There it it's is. back there. <laughs> but um I wanted to say that like the B fifty twos was a sound that I heard on your record. Like there's like you'd not I don't know how to describe it. It's more of like in a vibe than in like the like well
1: this is just straight up kooky B fifty twos. You're not yeah. doing any Fred Schneider impressions. Right.
2: Like,
3: no. <laughs> not that we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, I guess the the harmonies are there. So that kind of reminds me of, you know, the two ladies, uh, Cindy, right? And yeah, remember the other singer's name. yeah, Um, Kate? Kate, yes. Yes. So, like, there's that aspect of it, I guess, that maybe filters through. So were they, like, an influence on the band going in? Because I feel it when I listen to the record.
4: I mean, yeah. I actually got that album from my bandmates as a birthday gift and just literally listened to it for days on end and was like, when I kept coming back to Dances Mess Around, and I was like, Greg could do that voice. We
3: should cover that song. <laughs> you know, do um, all 16 dancers. That's
4: <laughs> <laughs> kind of where that, like, where it started in terms of us covering that song. And then, you know, we'd all just really loved that album. And that's one of a, a, a lot of kind of crossover we had um, as three individuals who listened to a lot of different types of music that was definitely a band that resonated with us all. um, So I could see that seeping into our
3: style a lot. It was kind of a song that we learned on as a band because we did it early, uh, uh, Dance This Mess Around. So Nicole brought it as like, hey, we should cover this song. And I uh, listened to it with an ear to covering it. And I was like, there's not a lot of song in this song. It's kind of just (laughs) a lot of vamping and, and Fred and Kate just kind of shouting back and forth at each other. But then once we kind of played it a few times and got it down, it is such a blast to play that song. And so, you know, yeah, we don't try to write to sound like the B-52s. I don't think we could necessarily. But writing with an eye to maybe trading vocals is something that kind of comes from that song. And uh, just the spirit of the performance and the fun of it kind of comes out in some of our songs, too, I think.
2: Yeah, definitely. I I like the trading vocals aspect, like that's like one of my favorite things about like x's albums like they, oh, yeah. they would do that like between uh john and uh scene it would just like trade off and they wouldn't harmonize a ton or if they
3: did like it was crookedly it was like yeah they, yeah they harmonized in a really unique way that kind of no one else can do <laughs> yeah john sang
1: the melody and scene just kind of went la, around la, it la.
3: <laughs> Yeah, like I can I can hear it, so it's like an indelible effect that they have both of their voices. But yeah, the, uh, the male female harmony like vocals are something I love, and so it's really awesome to be in a band where I get to do. I feel
2: like your band like kind of came out of nowhere. At least in my my attention, at least like I think Twitter is where I found you, which is a, such an odd place to find music. I yeah. think <laughs> like so I want to. Was...
4: You can just send it on that. Twitter's an odd place. Yeah. <laughs> Weird things I've, happen.
2: <laughs> I've kind of cultivated, like, I've tried to cultivate, like, uh, a, a bubble of people who just want to give positive feedback to each other on Twitter as much as possible, like other podcasters and other, like, bands and stuff. So, like, I've I've made Twitter more enjoyable for using the (laughs) podcast, but like if I go on my
3: intellectually toxic uh, cesspool,
2: (laughs) but if I go on my private account, like my personal account, and just go Uh, through, and I'm like, oh, yep, there's comedians making jokes, there's you know regular news people, so so I think I sorry no no go ahead I want to say I I think I found you on Twitter. It was either like you following the account or someone like tagging you in another post. Cause like people are doing that thing where they're just like tagging all the artists that they like, you know, cause mm-hmm. band camp Friday or whatever, or something like those lines. So I wasn't familiar with your band before that. And then, so I gave, uh, I just listened to like one song off the album. I don't think the album had come out yet. And I was like, oh shit, I am, I am here for this. So, oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> this, this this amazing. Your, your record is amazing. Um, oh, too, thank you. too prickly for this world. Um, how has the reaction been to it? Like,
4: It's been really positive. I mean, we've gotten to it's it's so interesting because I've talked to, you know, friends who have been touring for years and they're just like, what's it like to put out an album right now and not be able to do all the stuff? And I'm like, I mean, we weren't doing it before because we weren't at that place yet. And this is the first one. So, you know, I don't I don't have anything else to compare it to. (laughs) Um, But what has been really exciting about it is You know, so many kind of like you were talking about finding people through kind of everyone sort of people tagging and supporting each other. Um, I feel like a lot more of that happened this year in a way that, you know, musicians just trying to support other musicians, um, trying to spread the word about new music because so many of our traditional avenues are just sort of non-existent right now. Um, And so that's just been really exciting to sort of, you know, in in the spirit of if you were on tour with some of these other bands and you'd kind of like hit it off and be like band buddies, I feel like that happened, but not in the person to person way. (laughs) It was, you know, over doing live streams together or sharing a, sharing, sharing a tweet on Twitter or tagging each other in an Instagram post about like, well, it is Bandcamp Friday and we know that so-and-so's album's coming out and it's really good and we think you should listen to that and just really supporting each other in these sort of round-robin ways. Um, and that's been really, really cool. It's been a great way to meet new people and just get excited and stay excited about music.
3: Well, it's been, you know, speaking of kind of creating a bubble of music on Twitter, along those lines, this has been like this era of kind of smaller independent music has been such a unified and uh, just time. Like everyone is trying to build each other up because, you know, we are all lucky enough to have, you know, jobs where this isn't how we're making our living. So not being out on the road or paying and losing money. But there are bands who, you know, that this was how they made their living. And so a lot of people are just trying to boost everyone. And I think we kind of got sucked up into that. And, and then, you know, it kind of picked up its own momentum and it got reviewed places and started getting uh, on other people's radars that we didn't approach or anything. And so that that was all really cool. Like it, it just kind of caught a draft and got going on its own. And then the more people heard it, more people heard it. But um, I and I and I don't know what would have happened had this circumstance not presented itself. but um you know it's that's just kind of how it's taken place
1: I do you think this year is doing interesting things to independent music that and a lot of things that could be really great going forward if they if we sustain this once live shows can happen again i think that 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 communal aspect on especially on like twitter and platforms like that where it's easy to present a lot of data and a lot of information about bands um all at one time like you can just tag you know like justin said like 10 bands like and you can just click through them and check them all out and really quickly and really easily and i feel like that's something that i don't think that was happening before this year not not a lot and i agree yeah it's something that could very easily continue Once, and i think maybe people were more used to the the way that they were doing things before and it was a lot more individualistic and a lot more like we need to go out on the road and make a good impression and and be successful on our own instead of saying like hey here's all our buddies they're all making great music um i think that's something that could really really change the way the music industry operates um yeah especially with when things resurface when things do go back to somewhat normal it's going to be a lot harder because so many what so many venues are closed so many places yeah. are going away so it's it's going to be much needed to get things moving again
3: well this time sort of forced lots of bands including ours to take full advantage of the tools available to you that have no geographical tether So, you know, we talked about it's tough for a city like Indianapolis who never had a scene kind of break through. There are like we've kind of found ourselves a part of a scene that is, you know, ephemeral that like exists in the theoretical space of the Internet. And so like minded people are kind of in this scene and it's not just a, you know, geographically based scene. So that is something that, yeah, why? that we need to be doing this like we have this incredible <laughs> communications tool at our disposal like we got to use every positive thing about it to get everyone and, who needs to be together together and it's
1: the kind of thing that i feel like has been said about the internet in terms of like how it intersects with music and but i haven't i haven't seen it like this and i've been on the internet <laughs> for, you know, <laughs> almost two decades and been <laughs> discovering a lot of music that way um, on the internet for most of that time. And I've, n- I've never seen it like this. I-, I I think we there were the blog spot years. Yes. And then when that ended, when all of like the mega upload rapid share sites were all shut down, there was a real lull in the way independent music was. It, it went back to being very heavily gatekept.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: I agree. And I think yeah. we're swinging back out of that, which is great.
4: I think that's a really good point too is like like thinking about gatekeepers. I think this year has also forced a lot of people to think outside of the norm and realize how many how many people have been traditionally left out of the music conversation. In terms of different genders, in terms of different races, in terms of different identities. Um so many different industries have had this like awakening this year of like, oh, everybody here is white and we haven't really said anything about it or done anything about it yeah we haven't looked for anyone you know and and you go know, i've i've it's something that you know i've dealt with a lot and had people say well you know we don't know any we don't know any girl bands so could you name them and it's like well go out and look We're like there are so many bands all around but if you're never looking for them and you're always contacting your buddy yes. and they're contacting your buddy yeah. And they're never looking for anything else because you've never had to look for anything else. You know, you you end up in a world where everybody looks just like you. And there are so many people excluded from that. And I think that a lot of people had that awakening this year and kind of had to start really asking some serious questions and, and looking for the resources and looking for bands that have people who look like me, you know, have people who, who look different from them, who sound different from them, realizing that genre is not specific to, to race. Like there are so many, like, you know, we have been featured in Afropunk and we got to do the punk black streaming series. And it was a really awesome experience because like most shows I play, I'm the only black person in the room. Yeah. Um, And that's not something that's only specific to Indiana, you know, like that happens a lot. Um, and, and yet there are so many black punk bands, but like prior, because that visibility was so much lower, like we're not getting shows together. You know, like tours are not necessarily connecting together unless you're able to access those resources and like make those connections. So that's been something that's been really exciting about this year too, is connecting with more artists and yeah. really seeing the wide range of availability that, you know, it's not that we just aren't here, it's for the most part, people haven't been looking and people haven't been listening.
3: Well, and if you go back to like early punk scenes, I mean, especially in SoCal, like it's very diverse. And that I mean, that really is what the point of it was, was everyone gets to come together. There is no, I mean, there's no gate, so there's no gatekeeping. Like everyone is a part of it, like by definition. And so I think, you know, now that people aren't able to rely on habit just because everything is so disrupted, um, it's forced people to be, like, way more intentional about how they book. And so looking back after this year, like, looking back even just, like, several years ago, it shows and just seeing how monochromatic, monogender they will be, like, the lineups will be, it will look weird. Like, people will look at that and be like, what was this? Why was it like this? And it was just because, well, the Booker is like buddies with this guy. This guy knows this band. This is his, you know, dude. He went to high school with they were on the football team together. So like it just kind of these networks just kind of stay solidified, whereas now everything's just and so everyone's just like floating around space trying to find <laughs> where where we can go. Like the Internet just makes finding any kind of band anywhere so easy. And now everyone kind of understands better how to do it.
2: Yeah. I distinctly remember a couple of years ago making like a concentrated effort to like look for bands that or give bands a chance that were not entirely white guys. Like, like I started by looking at like fest lineups and then like there, there's like these hundreds of bands that play fest every single year. And then they're all on this list together. And so what I would do is I would go down the list and pick a, pick a band, look at the band picture if it was all white dudes, I skipped to the next band. And, like, <laughs> I wouldn't even try their music, you know, <laughs> unless there was, yeah. like, a person of color, the band was maybe female-fronted, or, you know, like, openly LGBTQIA and, like, their bio or description. So, like, I was like, well, I'm gonna try all these bands before I try any of the bands that are made up entirely white guys. And then I just wound up founding like finding, like, a shit ton of bands that are, like, my favorites now. So it's, yeah. like...
4: I'm that way. Like, I remember... People would always say like, oh, I don't know any, I don't know any chicks who play bass. I don't know any girl bass players. And I was just like, you know what? First of all, I'm over the age of 18. I'm a woman. Like, <laughs> you don't need
3: to.
4: <laughs> like, I am a child. Boy guitar like, players. About, you know? <laughs> even like when people are like, oh, you know, there's female vocals. I'm like, nobody ever says it about men. No one ever calls out men's vocals like, oh, and there's male vocals on this song. So like, we don't (laughs) need that, you know, but like, I just got so tired of it that I started just diving in and finding like, like once you find one artist, there's so many. And like, it's just opened such a door for me. I was like, I, you know, I really want to listen to more women in music. So I started listening to more of like Hole and Slater Kinney and, and then like digging off of that and, you know. One of the great things about living in the generation of things like Spotify and Pandora is like, once yes. you get an algorithm going, you can find a whole lot more things that sound like what you're looking for. It's just, for the most part, the mainstream has not been playing those things. Like the same time that, you know, Nirvana and Foo Fighters and Pearl Jam were on like every alt rock station, they weren't playing Hole or Slater Kenny or, um, you know, there's just so many bands that were also happening at that same time. like. Slater-Kinney toured with Pearl Jam, you know, and like their music still wasn't on the same stations as them. So, you know, once you open those doors and look for it, it just explodes with possibility. And it's such a great experience to find that in. And and it you can't go back. Like once you've opened that box, you can't just close it and pretend that it doesn't exist. Like all that you want to do is see more of that and support more of that.
3: And it, it, i'm glad you brought up the spotify thing like going to you know fans also like or suggested bands beneath like even smaller bands like shopping or something like if you go down and you just look at other bands it's like well there you go there's like 10 more bands that you can just kind of sample and listen to and like justin i was the same way like where i was like so you know what are some other like perspectives and music i could be hearing from like i i can you know i can only listen to nirvana so many times or i can only listen to you know whatever band i grew up with so many times or or their ilk and so you just make a concentrated effort and go and it's not like an effort like you're doing your fucking homework but it you find new sounds and it's just so easy to do and yeah like there is no more bigger corporate behemoth than Spotify everyone like with an internet connection has access to it and you can like listen to maybe a dozen Kroger commercials during your uh, sampling but you can go find like 10 new bands that you might love. And it's a good substitute for the fact that you know, a lot of uh, younger people especially won't have music collections necessarily now like it's just a different kind of relationship with music like there's no ownership. It's more just like, like I say, ephemeral but it's the best way to do it. It's yeah, just leapfrogging. That is 100% how I did it. It was
2: leapfrogging. Like, and you're right, the, it was the perspective that I was like specifically seeking out. I was like, I'm a white dude. I know what white dudes sing about. Like, how about I find bands <laughs> who sing about something else that I don't already know? Like, yeah. you know. So, yeah, that, that's definitely the the thing that I tried to do and it it is not hard. Like it's it's so easy. I I there, guarantee Right now, if you're listening to this and you've never made that effort, go to Wife Patrols Spotify and go look <laughs> at the similar artists and just try all of those bands. And <laughs> I don't know yeah. who your similar artists are right now. So, <laughs> but
3: <laughs> well, thanks, Nicole. Who are some of those bands that you've oh, been listening to? Off the top of my head, uh, but I know we've
4: been listening to Oceanator a lot.
3: Yeah, that record is amazing.
4: I have to go and like look Spring. and see what's in there.
3: Spring Silver is another really cool artist. I think he just did a new song or something that Natasha was listening to today with uh, Sad 13, who also is another artist to check out. Like, yeah, it just goes and goes. I do love shopping. Yeah, shopping. And what's her other band? Oof. uh, That's worth mentioning. Now that you've
4: asked me, I can't remember what it is,
3: but it's (laughs) really good. I like it. I like them as much as shopping. Yeah. Um,
2: looking at your your similar artists on Spotify, I see two, three past guests. We have Oceanator, which we had at least on the show. Okay. Um, we uh, there's All Right, who uh, we've had Sarah and Josh from that band on the show, and and John. And John that's right, he's like a secret member of the band for yeah. a long time. But <laughs> and Backeye, who we had uh, Rena and Kate, Kate, yeah, on the on that. On the show too, so like right there, there's four people that we've talked to on this, sh- or more than four people we've talked to on the show. That like, there you go. Now and, try some other artists.
3: And I fi- I found the other Rachel Ags band. It's Trash Kit. So if you're yes. like Gang of Four or so like O uh, Pairs, any of that like kind of gnarly UK post punk stuff, Trash Kit.
4: Also check out Big Joni and then check out Decolonize. Oh yeah, Big um, You'll find so many artists on the Decolonize Fest lineup. Yeah.
2: Sure. We're here
3: to educate
4: and charm pit.
2: Yeah, that charm pit record's good. Yeah. It's so funny we like start talking about your band and then immediately change <laughs> <But I know.
3: laughs> we we suck at promote like no promotion.
2: <laughs> well, I wanted to say like so I was looking at the record today and I was like there's no label on this thing. Like was this a self-released record? Yeah. What 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 motivated you to just decide to do it on your own?
3: Uh, complete and total indifference by the marketplace.
4: <laughs> yeah. There was no one else who was offering to put it out.
3: Uh, I mean, we and- didn't—we didn't like shop it around necessarily, but
4: yeah. Sorry, um, Nicole. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say, like, what else were we going to do? Like, what what else were we going to fill twenty twenty with? Our album was done. We had done all the recording in 2019. We spent months recording this one, actually, Mm -hmm. and then, um, like, right around time things started locked down, we had we were just about to send it to mastering anyway. So we were like, "Well, that's going to be done and checked off the list, and we can either sit on it for a year, but if we did that, like, what? We were not going to be playing any shows, you know? (laughs) So you're just sort of sitting in terms of your your music career, just on a standstill and you know, we it just seemed kind of ridiculous to let it just just sit there. Like we were really proud of the record. We worked really hard on it. It it was done, and it's like you know we might as well might as well put it out, especially when people don't have anything to do but listen to it.
0: Yeah,
3: <laughs> we and like as for not using a label or anything, I think we are we are three very like specific and opinionated people who like things to be a certain way, and we like getting a a, a democracy of three is already you know a handful uh let alone like having to f- fill fulfill some obligation like we're you know all over 30s with full-time jobs not uh necessary Ooh, am i frozen no you're good okay but you guys are frozen for me <laughs> oh weird okay there it goes there it goes um, <laughs> we were just listening in yeah ten- what was i saying yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the the <laughs> but yeah like not touring extensively, even in uh, normal times. So, you know, we weren't like going to go out and start selling a bunch of records in uh, Walla Walla or something like at a bar. So recouping expenses and things. So we just we like things to be done. We did the cover ourselves. We sent them ma- out. We like interacted with the mastering engineer ourselves. We recorded a chunk of it ourselves, though. We did also have like a recording engineer who was a buddy and we were kind of working with him the whole time. So I don't know. The fun part is doing it yourself anyway. Like, so yeah. I keep it all I mean, under one
1: room. It's punk. That's the, yeah. that's the whole attitude. That's the whole ethos. Like, We're not going to sit here and wait for CBS Records to give us a, <laughs> a deal. You know, we're going to put out a record. We're going to start our own record label. We're going to record it ourselves. I mean, that's where it started. I mean,
3: and a deal that would roughly. probably be a bummer, like that you would have to give away so much, like not just money, but like, you know, you can't do exactly what you want to do necessarily. And that's, yep. you know, that would be such a glorious position to be in, but I want to do what I want to
4: do. It right into the album we're going to be talking about today and what was going on <laughs> in the career times of Husker du. Yeah.
3: I know, that's true. Yeah, yeah they're like, they were at a crossroads of making, you know, and it, it was kind of a good and bad decision. Yeah. So
2: before we dive fully into Husker du, I guess we could talk about We Signed You the Year 1985. And I- What were some records that you almost picked from 85 that would have made the cut? Just barely. It was barely a tough made. year.
4: 85 was really hard. <laughs>
3: like, it was really tough. Well, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's that's kind of all I was going with. Is, yeah, it, it's yeah, just it was hard. <laughs> this is such a like valley, not not in terms of quality, but in terms of like things that were happening. This is such a valley year. Like, so first gen punk is many years gone, like um, not many, like, you know, six or so years gone, depending on how you count. But the um, even post-punk and new wave were kind of well-worn territory. College radio is kind of coming into full force, but isn't fully like REM at this point aren't completely like they haven't come out with document. They made kind of their murkiest record this year. I forget which one it is. Yeah. Uh,
2: it is. I was listening to it today actually to get ready. Uh it was Fables of the Reconstruction.
3: Yeah, which has a hit on it, but like it's it's a real murky record, which just kind of is eighty five all around. It's just a lot of murk. Like people aren't releasing their best work like Minutemen have a couple of EPs and releases. They're they're getting experimental. I think there's like brass on pro on uh, Project Mersh, I think, has mm-hmm. some like horns somewhere on it. Um
1: on uh, on King of the Hill. Yeah, it's got the the trumpet so, or trumpet lead.
3: Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I listened
2: to both Project Mersh and Three Way Tie today as well, because um, that's the full length that they put out too. Yeah, and, and this is also the year the D Boon dies too. Yeah. So like, this yeah. is the last the last minute we get. I mean, there's maybe like some archival stuff that came later, like ballot right. results. But
3: yeah, yeah, it, it really just feels like the end of punk, like after the end of punk and before the beginning of like college rock and alternative rock, really galvanizing so it was like a middle year and so like the albums what were what were some of the other ones well Rights of spring had their album this year which is a super super awesome like post-punk thing it's like after punk not quite fugazi yet but it's like this real gnarly thing that would have been a cool album but is this, a lot is of the this...
4: I, to, I kept finding like this doesn't sound punk like the way that i would think of punk because it was kind of it was like so like a like a trajectory year. Like it was just before what was about to happen. Yeah. So everything was kind of everything was kind of in in flux in a way in terms of the sounds that were coming out that year.
2: Like
3: Oh, sorry, go ahead. I
2: was going to say like the punk kind of like goes into this like dormant state through the late 80s. Like there's there's a lot of the more like the crossover stuff, like the, the thrash influenced hardcore stuff and college rock is the thing that is like kind of the sound because like mm. the punk bands left are like bad religion uh you maybe have like naked ray guns still around mm. in the later part of the 80s there's the new york hardcore scene i guess that's kind of that's where you got your gorilla biscuits and you of today and all that stuff
1: but you you had i mean you had yeah descendants you had you had milkmen <laughs> yeah. yeah uh
3: like punk is getting kind of ironic almost or not ironic, but like it's it's at this point, punk is such a familiar thing that even punk bands are like stretching it in kind of unusual ways. So nothing quite just sounds like a like the <laughs> the Ramones are our kind of legacy act at this point. Like they've been yeah. on a major label now for almost 10 years.
2: There's a decent amount of goth rock still kicking around.
3: Goth, that was like the big kind of sub thing that I was like, maybe we should do a goth thing. Cause you got killing joke and the cure and, and all coming out with really good albums this year. Sisters
1: of mercy. Sisters of mercy Clan of, of Zymox. God. What um, is that? What? Uh, Clan of Zymox. I don't know that. I think it's their self-titled record. They were okay. A- yeah, dark wave goth rock. Really big. Um, I mean, it's a pretty good year if you were a British poppy, post-punk, gothy band. Um, I mean, because you have Meat is Murder by the Smiths, Psycho Candy by Jesus and Mary Chain, uh, Head on the Door by The Cure, Low Life by New Order. Those are all really big records and very poppy. Well, yeah, the- with the exception of Psycho Candy. But yeah, you know, it's not very poppy. <laughs> I mean, the pop is there, but it's just under like, you know, 10 guitars feedbacking.
3: <laughs> yeah, the the one I almost wanted to do and then I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't I, I think it's kind of like not everyone' cup of tea was um, well, two, I guess, UK ones. One was uh, Kate Bush, which is not punk at all by traditional standards but we were willing to make an argument so that we could do it just because we all like the record so much <laughs> <laughs> but we we're like no that's not really the spirit of the show we need to like kind of get into the spirit of things and i, I was yeah. also th- i was also thinking uh the cult uh their first album uh love is it just called love i think i think so yeah which is like the cure meets acdc which is so up my alley <laughs> and i love uh the like main single off of that uh, 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 she sells sanctuary is like, man, that riff I could listen to that 24 hours a day. Like I just never get tired of that riff in that song. So, and, and I listened to the rest of the album I'm like, it's okay. It's some of it's kind of anonymous. And then, but when you hit that single, oh my God, it's so good.
4: <laughs> my close call was, uh, and I, I couldn't find it at the time. Um, i Finally found it this week. I wish I would have looked a little bit harder and dug through YouTube. But there is a Throwing Muses demo that came out that year called Doghouse Cassette. And I finally like went back and started like I, I found like I said found it on YouTube this week and started listening. Like, man, I wish I would have found this at first because it's just such an interesting sound that they had and like just such sharp vocal styles and it's just it's I'm definitely gonna like go back and, and give it a full album listen because it's it's just yeah. so I don't want to use a phrase ahead of its time, but they were just doing some really interesting things that, that you could tell were leading into what was going to follow in terms of uh, bands who would have been listening to them. So,
3: Well, and, and th- that that's such a good one because like you have two or like three kind of all-timer songwriters in a band, but they're not quite who they are yet. And so you hear the like raw talent that would go on to, to have like radio hits in the next decade like you hear them kind of germinating, which is really cool.
4: It's very much like listening to the very early Slater-Kinney albums, listening to them and just kind of feeling that rawness and that sort of like um, like a dissonant tinge to the sound. Like everything's not, everything's not quite, um, I don't want to say in tune, <laughs> but it's just got, there's just a rawness to it that's not polished yet. Yeah. And that's what I really liked about what I heard.
2: Well, the record you did pick... Uh... Is a pretty monster record, really, yeah. for, in the in the gr- greater scheme of uh, punk music uh, and even alternative. Uh, so we gave you 1985, and you picked "Flip Your Wig" by Husker Du. <laughs> I guess the first thing I usually ask when we really get into the record is, why'd you pick this one?
4: I think I first brought it up, going through the list and just kind of feeling like so many names felt like it would be kind of too obvious to pick. <laughs> um, and I landed at Husker Du because it was a band that I've I've known about, I've known about members of that band, but I hadn't really listened a lot to that band. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't know of Husker Du until. I watched the Food Fighters Back and Forth documentary uh, when that came out. And Bob Mould was featured on one of the songs on the um, Wasting Light album. And so he like shows up in this in this documentary because I was a huge Food Fighters fan. Like I started learning to play bass playing Food Fighters songs. And and this guy walks in and, and Dave Grohl's just hyping him up. Like, I can't believe I'm in the room with him. And like, I, gotta, I, I left a part out so we could write it together. And like, he's just so like, Dave Grohl's one of those people who's like, a rock star who still loves rock and roll
3: <laughs> like a real music fan like never so stops being super
0: a music fan and I'm like
4: who is this guy and should I know who he is <laughs> um so I remember that so that was kind of my introduction to to Bob Mould I actually re-watched that documentary last night just so I can kind of like remember how that felt in that moment and that's what led me to kind of start listening to a little bit and and getting more familiar with the work um so it seemed like a good choice of something that I wasn't familiar with but was curious about. I knew of the name. I knew a bit of the legacy, but it was it It seemed like a really good place to to dive in. And it's hard to pick album like most of the albums are albums I had not either had not heard before or was not familiar with that album from that artist. So you want to be able to talk about something with some sense of like
3: connection. Or yeah, some sense
4: of connection. And that was something that I'm like, I feel like I could dive into this and And it would be something I would enjoy and not feel like it was too much of a chore to try to, like, come up with something to
3: say.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. Oh, sorry. I I don't mean to cut you off. I I wanted to uh, mention that, like, we I'm currently trying to book another band right now um, for an upcoming episode. And two members said they wanted to do the show. And then I gave them the list of the year that I'm going to have them talk about. And then neither one of them could agree on anything. Like they, <laughs> they were like, I don't. Uh, neither one of us could feel confident enough talking about the other person's pick. Yeah. So then they wound up switching which members of the bands are even going to be on the episode. So now it's two <laughs> different members are going to talk about, about a record. So
3: <laughs> it, was, was it was an ordeal. Yeah, yeah. I liked. Normally, end... I liked. Finding the record because like when we picked '80s as the decade, we were really banking on like '81, '82 or something <laughs> like. But then when you came back with '85, I was like, oh, this is like the year. This is like like even Prince had like a weird off album this year. This was like a weird, you know, left foot year. But I for I'm kind of similar to Nicole for Husker Du. Like they weren't ever one of my main bands, and I came to punk even kind of like I. I started listening to punk when I joined a punk band when I was like 24 uh, or something, uh, 23, 24. And so prior to this, my only exposure to who's could do was uh, makes no sense at all. got played on the radio when Nirvana got big. So I was, I'm born in 1981. So when I was like 10, 11, Nirvana explodes and suddenly Indianapolis, like suburban Indianapolis has alternative music on the radio. And it must have made the DJs so happy because you every like tenth or so. Oop! Did we lose Nicole?
4: Nicole, I just have to go check on my food, and I didn't oh. want to interrupt you guys or oh. have you uh, okay, <laughs> okay. following me to the kitchen.
3: Uh, well, I brought up the '90s, so it'll be some time I think before yeah. I'm. I'm, fun- I'm <laughs> I, I kind with of this felt
4: this going. I'm like, this is a good check on my food time. <laughs> I'm gonna go do that, and then bring oh, me out.
3: It's the
1: smoke break. It's uh,
2: we put on. uh, Oh, great. He brought up the 90s. It's so true. (laughs) Uh,
3: (laughs) And Ross Perot was running for (laughs) office. But uh, so DJs would like every 10th song play something that they probably just loved from their own like college years or something. And so you would hear like the smithereens hits from the 80s or just college rock, like early college rock. And so or even, you know, the cult got played on the radio all of a sudden, like 10 years later and makes no sense at all was one of the songs that that happened to. So I was like, I would hear that in 1992 and I'd be like, this is awesome. And then never think about it again. And then, you know, like flash forward 10 or 12 years later, I'm in this band and I kind of didn't have a punk phase as a kid. I had more of like metal uh and for some reason punk and metal just kind of diverge after middle school or something and you don't look at it until <laughs> like you're a little bit more mature or older or something i don't know but um so all of my friends in this punk band started giving me uh some stuff to listen to and that's when i started listening to wire and uh some of the uk punk like early meat puppets and and husker Du was one of those bands and so i i knew of course husker Du was like a big deal and i should have listened to them at some point and I listened to like Zen Arcade and I was like like the like production like SST house production style was not my cup of tea like the the guitar is just so like it 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 uh I don't know it like grates more than it shreds but then like this album was a little more I mean as songwriters too they're like kind of getting a little bit more god I don't even know what to say orchestrated or something arranged like the hardcore is still there but it's like become like they're assimilating all kinds of songwriting ideas that that are um, that were always kind of a part of their band but now they're like more brought to the fore so I felt like this album was like and now that I listen to it it is my favorite who's Du do album like it's the one I can listen to all the way through no skips and just kind of ride with it. it's funny you brought up like the the DJs
2: because it ma- then it just made me realize too I was like is that why I heard is that why violent oh. Femmes got really
3: big exactly
2: yeah that that record came out way earlier like a full
3: decade w- prior yeah
2: before blister in the Sun became like a lead single and yeah it was like the cults on the radio a lot of art like I knew tons of REM songs from 80s records like before they even had their big hit stuff like major label stuff so like that's funny I didn't think about it being like the DJs were like Hell, yeah, I can play some uh, cheap trick now on the modern rock station.
3: (laughs) Yeah, because it's like profitable. It's like, (laughs) you know, it's part of the business model now to like be edgy and kind of unpredictable. (laughs) What a
1: blessing. You could play the music that directly preceded this music that is really popular that didn't have commercial appeal then, but now does. Yeah, because what has commercial appeal now is like sloppy Grating, bleeding yeah. vocals. and <laughs> 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 Well, let me run through some stats on the record. Uh,
2: this is the fourth Husker Du album and their second album in 1985. It was released in September, uh, nine months after New Day Rising, their previous record on SST. Uh, this was also released on SST Records, and it was the last for the label. The co- neat thing about that is that They had already signed to Warner Brothers by the time this record came out, but they felt such loyalty to the label that they just let SST be the ones to release it. So that's shockingly cool of them. I mean, they had a good relationship, too. So it's not unusual. And then the personnel on this record is uh, Bob Mould on guitar and vocals, Grant Hart on drums and vocals, and Greg Norton on bass. And the record was produced by the band, uh, breaking from the tradition of having spot produce all the sst records um the production you you brought it up a little bit and this is the first one they got to do themselves because they wanted to do new day rising on their own but sst was like no we're gonna use spot and it's so funny because spot did all the minutemen records and those records sound great but they also are playing a very very different style of music
1: well yeah i mean minutemen had the very strict separation of frequencies between guitar and bass. They were like D was always insisted on the guitar is the treble instrument. I'm going to turn the treble up. I'm going to turn all the bass down. And the mic was the bass and he was all the treble down, bass up, like at least when they played live. And I, I, I think that attitude carries into their recordings. And then, and you also have to factor in D's guitar tone is purely a telecaster playing through a really loud amp. Yeah, and not much else. There's no there's not yeah. really, I mean like a tube screamer on a solo. That's it. Like it was he was a very clean guitar player. So that I think cuts through the the lower fidelity of spots engineering <laughs> abilities. <laughs> well, and and my must... mold is all distortion.
3: Oh my god, yeah.
1: Like so when you mic that poorly and record it through, you know, maybe not not great preamps or whatever. It's pretty hairy.
3: It's slicing, <laughs> and, and it and that is you know I know that for a lot of people and and friends of mine who got me into these records, that's part of it. Like that's a feature, not a bug. Is that it? Just like kind of goes straight for your eye sockets that guitar sound. <laughs> but um the the way he kind of insists the guitar sound is like that. Like I was looking at Nicole. Nicole, are you there? <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's yeah. I hope nothing caught on fire. I just um, dropped
4: a ton of stuff in the kitchen, but i uh, uh, I was like, "Let me go, turn it off, mute," and then like all the way, yeah, it's we're we're good. I'm here.
0: Uh,
3: <laughs>
2: we'll just I talk was, about tone a lot longer, and then we'll yeah.
3: Oh, I can talk about tone all <laughs> like, night. Like two minutes on tone, and we'll be good to go. <laughs> yeah, I believe it was an MXR Distortion Plus. He was using in uh, 1985, um, yeah, exactly. but uh, but yeah, like it's it's. Partly, I think Spot's sort of very Spartan production technique, but also it is a choice that uh, Bob Mold is making to have his guitar sound, you know, very snowy, <laughs> and 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 it's you know a, a, there's that, and then there's the reverb they just slather on the drums, which yeah. makes it also very kind of um, it's not like weak sounding because no band is more you know bursting through brick walls than Husker Du. But it still has this uh, quality of making it feel very just kind of airy and atmospheric and not as like direct and punchy as a Minutemen album. Yeah. And it's like, as, and this happened throughout the 80s where I don't know who it was, if it was who did snare, if it was like Phil Collins or Huey Lewis or whoever. Whoever did that with the snare to make it like crack through mixes, everyone was like, oh, you just put reverb on the drums. But that was not exactly the technique. And so when you did that to other bands who didn't have the technique down, it just kind of made it all real muddy and gushy. But like this record, it kind of coalesces and works. And the music is a forceful like blizzard, like Minneapolis blizzard coming at you.
2: Blizzard is such a better word because I would have said like underwater. But being a Minneapolis band that like, oh, yes, yeah, no, that's what it is. It's not. Yeah. <laughs>
3: And replacements kind of had that too a little bit in some other kind of twin tone and then uh, not Tim so much, I guess, but Let It Be was sort of that way.
4: I went with Tidal Wave whenever I kind of, that was what came to mind when I thought of this sound because it just seemed like a lot of times, almost like the vocals were trying to trying to survive this Tidal Wave. of. Sound. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. You know,
4: like they're, they're really just kind of hanging over, trying to kind of compete with it. And Especially
2: so, on like the Grant songs, like... Yeah. He's real buried in some of those those songs. Which he used to come out a lot clearer on like the earlier records. More yeah, so the
3: Bob. I think it's because Grant is trying to like get a little bit more of a singing voice while still like being and playing this really loud music.
4: As we sort of dive into these influences, one of the weird Easter eggs I found, but I haven't verified because I only heard it on a podcast that was talking about this album, is they said that Flip Your Wig was named after the Flip Your Wig Beatles board game that came out in, like, 1965. Uh (laughs) And in that concert that I watched in 1985, they covered, um, gosh, which song was it?
3: Ticket to Ride.
4: Yeah, they covered Ticket to Ride in that show, which was actually really brilliant to have that song covered in like Husker Du style. Um, and then also Husker du was like a memory, a child's memory game. So like this, these like res- references to games <laughs> happening both in the band name and the title of this album, yeah. I found really interesting, but also just that influence of Beatles and pop and, you know, melodies and a good chorus. And um, you can definitely sort of see that in this space.
3: They are such like I know people always do this with bands that have two songwriters where they're like, who's the Lennon? Who's the McCartney? But they have such a Lennon-McCartney vibe where, you know, mold is Lennon, Hart is McCartney. I mean, they even fucking look kind of like <laughs> distorted Midwestern versions of either of those guys. <laughs> but like the really acerbic and um, um, biting mold and the more, at least on this album, the more pop and doe-eyed uh, Hart um, like they, it just is like peanut butter and chocolate. Those two things, when you put them in a band, I'm sure there's lots of tension behind the scenes, but they, it always results in good stuff.
2: Who's responsible for the baby song?
0: Oh, my <laughs> God. Gosh. That's
3: oh true. My there are three songs on this album <laughs> that I mean, so for <laughs> listening purposes, if you just bought this album in 1985 and you put it on and you hear the baby song and then you hear, what are the last two songs called? Oh, yeah. The Wit and Wisdom and Don't Know Yet. Uh, you hear those three songs, and it's like cool for the experience of listening to the album. But they're those are three tracks you have burned in the in the running order of this of this album. I yeah, found, it, it's sorry.
4: I go ahead. I was, going was to just. Say I found an article. I found <laughs> an article on AV Club called "The Turd and the Caviar: Twenty Four Songs That Almost Derail Great Albums" in The Baby's Songs Nineteen.
2: <laughs> Man, The Baby's like. Oh, the first as soon as today when I was like re-listening to it again I was, and he gets to the the baby song. I was like,
0: fuck, fuck, skip, skip.
4: <laughs> Everything about it is just it's 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 uncomfortable. I have nice. to say it's uncomfortable. Why?
3: Why would they have done it? Like it, clearly this album his love
4: child that was born that year. Oh, really? Love child that was born that year. Oh, yes.
3: I had no idea. I'd never I hadn't seen that. That's crazy. <laughs> All right, well, now I feel bad for talking shit about it, but still, like, it doesn't... That's your B-side. Put Mary Tyler Moore theme on the album. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's an excuse for the baby song, but, like, what's the excuse for wit and wisdom and don't know yet? Like, it's just... It's the thing that SST Records bands love to do at this time. Minutemen did it, Black Flag did it. It's just, like, just give us a song. I mean, it's cool you came up with a cool guitar thing. It's cool, yes, it's not fun to listen to and why'd you put two of them back to back
0: at I know, the back very end back. of the album? It's
4: the two yeah. of them, right? That, <laughs> the, like uh the Wit and Wisdom, it sounds like it could end the album. Like yeah. it's an album ending track and it builds, there's a lot happening and you're like, oh, okay. And then you get another <laughs> instrumental song after that that's even like quieter. I I just wrote down vibes <laughs> for that song. Um but I was I was very confused. Yeah,
3: it's bummer because keep hanging on would have been a sweet album closer because that's like heart at his most, um, you know, thrashing like vocally. And it just it, it would have been such a kind of exclamation point for the album. But I don't know. I mean, I, I just consider them to be bonus tracks or, or you <laughs> know, in another era, they would have been hidden tracks like Nirvana didn't end. Never mind with Endless Nameless or whatever it is. But uh it's on the album nonetheless. And if you're playing basketball in your driveway with the CD playing on the boom box, like eventually it'll get to that. If you don't stop it,
0: <laughs>
2: the hidden track was like the, I guess it was, it was, it was designed for bands to do stuff like this. And just like the labels like, and we'll put that in the hidden track down here. And <laughs> then, but like, as far as the listening experience, I always remember being like, Oh, my CD player didn't kick off. That means there's something yeah. else here. Yeah. <laughs>
4: just waiting and waiting. Especially if you have one that doesn't have like the timer on it, that doesn't list the time. So the song is just sitting there forever and you're like, Is it did it stop? It's not paused. It didn't stop. <laughs> kind it's of waiting for
1: something to happen. So Wit and Wisdom and Don't Know Yet are very much an extension of the Zen arcade e- experimentation. Like yeah. the psychedelic, you know, stuff that they did on that record, which fit better on that record because of the I mean, first of all, it's a double album. Yeah, and yeah. and they they just fit better with the whole like pseudo conceptual narrative of the record. Um I think they're a little yeah, they're weird here. Because and, you have like mostly pop and hard rock and punk songs. Pretty straightforward. Find me is a little bit of an excursion and then obviously baby song is just like why is this here? A doodle <laughs> But then Flexible Flyer, Private Plane, Keep Hanging On, all great songs, um, which I overlook a lot because of how stacked the front, the first, the A side of this record is. But listening to them today, I was like, oh, yeah, the B side does have some really great songs. And then it ends on, oh, all
3: right, (laughs) weird. That's a good point that they're kind of like Zen Arcade holdovers almost that they I don't know. I mean, who knows? They sound exactly. I'm sure they came from this session, but yeah, they do sound like whatever that song is. Turn on the news or whatever you hear like TV on the, the Zen Arcade album. Like you could have stuck these, you know, one on side B, another on side C or something. Yeah,
1: they they're they're similar to like the backwards <laughs> masked or like the the one song that's played forward and then it's like played backwards yeah. and, and that kind of thing, which New Day Rising has some oddities, too. Um like books about UFOs is kind of an odd song on that record. How to skin a cat. That's that's absolutely like SST. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like
3: Books About UFOs is kind of that like kind of piano. That's the one with the piano, bounty. Bounty. yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: And then like how to skin a cat, they're like we're we'll feed the rats to the cats and the cats to the rats and we'll get the cat skins <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Just something that the meat puppets or Minutemen would have done.
3: It's just a weird. There, there's always some weird thing about these Midwest like punk bands. They're, they're, that's why it's why they just can't be straight up cool. There's always got to be some weird kind of little hitch about them, or they're just absolute fall down drunks like the Replacements, and like something always kind of <laughs> stands in the way. Well,
2: you know the UK did it too. Like they were all about some like just goofy shit on some of those records. Like the Damned would do that. I was about to say. <laughs> Like the turkey song being on, like
3: <laughs> <laughs> or just their their career in general, like as it progresses, yeah. it gets more and more, yeah, bizarre.
2: We um we talked about eighty five a couple times in the past, and we did we talked about Phantasmagoria. That was the eighty five damned record, and uh, that's the first goth record. Which you know the Black Album and Strawberries have some of that darker element to it, and they you always look like a vampire from the beginning, but. That was the one where they just like go fully into the uh the, the goth rock operatic thing.
3: It's it's so weird when bands do that. Like when Gang of 4 goes and becomes like a a disco band, but like 10 years after disco or something. Like their first <laughs> album is such a shred like anti-corporate statement and then like a couple albums later it's on the dance floor and you're I like
0: wait, what?
3: Like, why are you, and it's not like, don't experiment, experiment. I mean, you've given us a classic, do whatever the hell you want. Like, but it, it is always weird when that is the impulse for a band is to be like completely like take a Garth Book, Brooks, uh, Chris Gaines, left turn and just like, I'm going to be something different. This next album, you're not even going to recognize me.
4: I mean, at least Garth Brooks changed his name for it. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know?
3: yeah. Like, they
4: but not, not that everybody name. has to change their name to, to have a new identity, but sure. like. It's very interesting when that happens and you're just, you've built a legacy on the sound and then you just go complete 180. And it's like, Oh, okay.
3: <laughs> yeah. Like if candy apple gray had come out after, you know, metal circus or, or any of the like earliest who's had been like, well, this is crazy. But like along the gradient of their path, you, you, you know, see all that stuff coming and it makes kind of more sense. To me, it's
2: odd that they ever got signed to yes. Warner.
3: Yeah. It's insane. Like,
2: what were they like, <laughs> were the execs like that Zen Arcade record? You know, that's <laughs> that's something we would do. Like, I don't. Were they sending them like some some of this Flip Your Wig material maybe as demo? I don't know. I mean, I'm
4: curious. I, I've, I'm I've curious never understood. Yeah, I'm curious if it's a situation of like the labels are always sort of behind the times at this point. Like, what's new and what's shifting? They're still you know, paces behind. So then when they finally think they've caught up, that's when they're kind of offering these deals that are happening. And, you know, you, you see the same, like one of my one of my favorite movies to watch is Singles. And and just how there was so much capitalization on the grunge scene that it just sort of like implodes at, yeah. at one point because, you know, what was grunge is now not. And then now, now it's a look and they're selling it in the stores um, because suddenly like capitalism is caught up but like the bands are so far removed at this point, And like the, the fans that have been there through the ride are so far removed. But the execs think they finally have it.
3: Well, and it, it, it can only be imitation after that, like after yeah. you sort of created its genre. That's when you get like Candlebox or Stone Temple Pilots or or or, you know, any bands that, you know, come up with good songs. But it's like it's imitation The with Husker Du, it's like, what, what are you hearing that sounds commercial? In any sense, like you, all, all, it could only have been you're looking at, you know, Black Flag on tour or SST bands on tour, you know, package tours where it's like Meat Puppets and Husker du and you know and whoever Sonic else.
4: Is still there at that point too.
3: Yeah, and they're you know they're not going to get signed to a major for another what five years or something, but but like you see these tours and it's like oh there's money to be made in this weird punk subculture still like in nineteen in the mid nineteen eighties and it's like purely a, a, like. I just don't you know, because I love who's good do, but as a man at Warner Brothers who needs to make literally millions of dollars to break even on fans, <laughs> right? like what are you thinking? Yeah yeah, I think I
1: think it was trying to capture a subculture, and but it's it's interesting because I don't know what because in eighty five we're in the heyday of arena rock, hair metal, new wave. Like there's already, I feel like a lot of subcultures being, I mean, you had metal coming from, you know, the, the, uh, the narrative is that metal won the Sunset Strip war and, you know, replaced punk. And metal is what became the popular, uh, the popular alternative genre or the, the aggressive music for the mainstream. So I, metal was very successful at this time. That's true. So it's are, odd yeah. that they were trying to do something that was similar, but not the same.
3: Do you think it could possibly have had anything to do with the fact that it's 1985? Prince had come out with Purple Rain on Warner Brothers. He's in Minneapolis. Do you think they think there's some Minneapolis heat? like replace? I can't. I don't know who got signed first, replacements or who's could do. Um, when, obviously uh, replacements what label does Tim sire. come out on? uh well tim is this year i guess isn't it it's 85 yeah so maybe they both do major label at approximately the same time but i wonder if it's like minneapolis is happening it's popping let's snatch up like the because you know who's could is like the biggest selling band on sst right now so let's just get the biggest of these bands uh minneapolis plus punk plus biggest sst band will equal a <laughs> commercial success I wonder. I wonder if
0: Purple
2: Rain. It it really could. Like it could just be Minneapolis is like the deciding factor, because like yeah, mainstream wise, either that or whatever A and R rep or whatever it was that signed them was really ahead of the game and was like, no, no, this is going to be killer on the radio in a couple years. Like this, are you ahead of the
3: game?
0: Yeah. 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 Mm
1: -hmm. Was was trying. Maybe he i mean maybe he's an a and r guy who's just actually plugged in and like actually reading cream and yeah you know reading the magazines and is actually out there on the street and is is listening to Because i mean in eighty five college rock radio is it's a thing it's it's starting to really take off, and yeah. those bands are starting to go somewhere, so maybe it was just someone was just too eager to capture that <laughs> then. <that, laughs> well, and- thread and then he did it way too soon <laughs> and then also didn't reckon with the fact that he's signing Bob Mould and Grant Hart who are <laughs> like iconoclasts like they're just we have a vision and we're going to do things the way we want and and they did because you would go listen to Candy Apple Grey it's so funny in in my mind I I always think of Flip Your Wig as being the major label record even though I know it's not because I think of the first half of Flip Your Wig being really pop, poppy, and you go and put Candy Apple Gray on, and the first song is Crystal, and Bob Mold is just shrieking about an airplane crashing. <laughs> like it's it's a hardcore song right up front after they've signed to and, to a major label. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's weird. <laughs> of the land. We got states and cities standing at their neighborhoods and more. Coast, and I get it sick
2: Oh, no, what you were saying is probably more prevalent to what... Uh, no,
3: so no, I, was, I was going to opine on R.E.M. also signing to uh, uh, Warner Brothers, but I guess that was still a couple years away. Like, this really is sort of the earliest bands that get, that go to the majors, like Husker Du and The Replacements. They're sort of the, the first sort of, like, misfit, you know, underground bands that get to the major labels.
2: And it becomes this, like, tradition
3: going forward. Like,
2: why the fuck did a major label sign Shudder to Think? <laughs> like who heard that band it was like yeah that'll sell some units like they're too weird for most of the punks who were into that kind of music like and then like disney signing seaweed or uh jawbox on atlantic sam i am on epic or capital
3: one of those labels too they may be atlantic as well well, and and people saying like, why are you going to major labels? Like Husker Du are also the first ones to kind of get the the brunt of the sellout. Uh, yeah, arguments.
1: it's true. They are they are the first. Yeah, I don't think the replacements get it as much because I think there's there's something about the replacements that their influences and their lineage, like where they come from, is they're very very heavily influenced by mainstream rock generally, yeah. you know. And then whereas Husker Du are just like. The weird artist punk kids,
0: (laughs) yeah,
3: yeah,
1: and for them to go sign to a major label and and have a you know music video on MTV, they played on uh, they played on Joan Rivers. Was that their only TV appearance?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Was she doing the Carson spot? (laughs) Um, I think so. She must have been, yeah, because I don't I don't know that she had her show until later. That's funny. Last from the past. <laughs> yeah, it was
1: Late Show with Joan Rivers. <laughs> yeah, Late Show. So that's uh, that's the Letterman's.
3: Letterman. Yeah. whoa. maybe she so was that... filling in for everybody.
1: Yeah.
2: Which I guess Letterman wasn't there yet. So that's like the show before Letterman takes it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I guess I guess the last thing that I have really is that this record is kind of the bridge between punk rock and indie rock in the nineties. So, like, I think the Chapel Hill sound, like, your Super Chunks and Archer's of Loaf are very much plugged into this Hooskerdoo sound, which makes sense, because John Worster is Bob Mold's drummer now, you know, like, that makes perfect sense. So, like, I'd always thought that, because I'd listened to those, like, 90s indie records, and I'm like, this is punk music. Why does no one call this punk music? Like, this is just very clearly pop punk, sort of. I mean pop punk in 93 was a extension of skate punk i guess but so like and then i I, it had to be me listening to this record to go okay there it is like that's the connection who screwed went to a major label they were calling themselves power pop on this record they weren't necessarily calling themselves a hardcore band anymore yeah so like they are the band that kind of inspires the 90s indie rock explosion which then punk in the 2000s going forward would also then just recycle back in to their sound and now you have whatever punk is now which is like a hundred different yeah different sounds all under the same umbrella but not really even sounding that much alike anymore
3: well they who's Du do and maybe this album more than any of their others kind of show how it can be done combining like the merc and the 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 underground with like the pop and the mainstream rock and have it be like still totally authentic and and awesome expression and not be you know y- you you just can't listen to any who's Du album and, and call them sell out it's <laughs> like it's they're not like chasing anything it, it, this is obviously what they want to be doing like this is the music they want to be playing and they show you like they show the 90s how you can put all the stuff you like together and it doesn't have to be one thing or like doesn't have to be underground or mainstream it can be both of them yeah um I'm curious, what's everyone's
2: favorite song on this record? Oh,
1: man. Like I said, the um, A-side is stacked. <laughs> Maybe Divide and Conquer
2: might be my favorite? Or, or Games. One of those two.
3: Oh, Games is so good. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but... All right.
4: Divide and Conquer was my favorite. Like The song that kept sticking in my head every time I came back to thinking about this album was Hate Paper Doll, just because <laughs> it reminded me so... like. It's, like you said, it's it's a song that when you say the title, you can hear the song. It it just, it reminds me of, uh, there's this interview with Dave Grohl and Kyle from Tenacious D. And he's (laughs) like, I only write hits. And he's like, don't bore us, get to the chorus. It's all about the chorus. He talks about like Aerosmith and how many songs they have that like start with the line of the, the first line of the song is either the title or the chorus of the song. And like, that's kind of how I felt listening to Hate Paper Dolls. Sticks in your head. You, you can't really forget it but like what i liked about divide and conquer is that like you don't even get to a chorus until the end of the song so you kind of really have to commit to it like it's you got a machine gun
3: it. of verses yeah he yeah, just keeps so lobbing many. them at you and it all builds divide to the like it. the finale of divide and conquer exactly
4: and then and what it, i also love about that is when you finally get there you know they're like divide and then and he's like listen no 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 i'm like wait <laughs> they asked me to listen so you can like Give us some (laughs) gnaws and (laughs) law.
0: Something's
4: going to happen now. And like, now we're just going to, you know, harmonize with
3: ourselves.
1: (laughs) He's just going to harmonize on that riff, which is, that's a peak Bob Mould riff. Oh, yeah.
3: And it's, yeah, it's got that chorus effect that he just uh, apparently permanently had on for all of like those Who's Could Do albums once they just start writing these pop songs. It's just got the shimmery quality
1: they were using like, um, it was probably like a rack, like harmonizer, some kind of very eighties piece of equipment. Yes. (laughs) And he just like rammed everything through it. Yeah. Um, I really, really love, uh, the first two grant songs on this record. I, I love Bob mold and he's, he's a huge influence to me as a guitar player and a songwriter and as an aspiring musician. Um, and he's a personal hero. But I've I've always said Grant writes the best Who Screwed songs. I, I feel like the best songs on every Who Screwed record are like the best two are always his songs. Um, every Everything and Green Eyes are some of my all time favorite Who Screwed songs.
3: Yeah, those are good. Those are solid. I think just because it sort of was coming at me today, find me is the song I'm thinking about the most, even though, I, I, you know, it's it's not the one that sticks out immediately, but, you know, a- after listening to this album so many times over the years, like, it's the one that today I was like, boy, this is a very unusual song. It's got such a, dis- like, a distinct mood to it, and it's so impressive that you can capture that mood in a three-piece hardcore band without using really anything other than your band. Like, it, it gets to a really unusual spot uh, sonically, and it just, like, summons this emotion in the song that is you know nothing to do with just like three chord bashers it's like a very unique thing
1: also want to point out um, i guess before, uh i think it's very fitting that we we talked about this whole album and only mentioned greg norton's name
3: we, <laughs> like one time <laughs> we
1: didn't talk about him at all creatively anything that he's doing musically like he's just there and that's it and i feel like bob and grant would both be like Absolutely okay with that because <laughs> Bob and Grant, I think, hate Greg more than they hate each other. Oh,
3: man. If we were talking about Zen Arcade, we we could talk about just how he you know kicks the doors down at the beginning of the album or something. But yeah, no, that's it. Can't it, can't have this stuff without the bass. But yeah, it is funny
2: because I was thinking earlier too. I don't remember what what the specific thing we were talking about. We were talking about like Bob and. Grant singing, I think, and then I was like, "And what is Greg even doing?" That was what I was going to say.
0: <laughs> he's just
2: I will there.
4: Say, I was impressed watching that concert footage. Yes. That um, it seems yes. like he's a one-finger bass player, which is pretty impressive for uh, what was going on.
3: So he's digging in. It, no, and and live. Okay, well, it's good that you said that because it must be said. He he does his part. Like it, the just. <laughs> the timbre of guitar and vocals in this band needs a bass guitar to uh, balance it out. And live, especially, you can see, like, he is doing a ton of work that, you know, obviously obviously goes unappreciated, but still is, like, totally fundamental to the songs.
1: Yeah. I mean, Greg Norton is, don't get me wrong, an incredible bass player. (laughs) Like, it's just the... Yeah, he is so overshadowed. Like, (laughs) that's how much... Farther, you know, ahead of him, Grant and Bob are. I mean, and they wrote the songs. Obviously, that's a, a really, really important aspect of it. But yeah, I just, I just thought it was funny because it was like because they hate him or they hated him at least from what I've read. They, they had have never said anything like Bob and Grant would occasionally say nice things about each other, but they were always just like Greg just didn't come to practice. Like Bummer. he didn't think he was a he thought he was a rock star and didn't have to practice. And, Bummer. Uh,
3: I don't
4: get how, I just don't even understand how that works. <laughs> like, that you could, it's interesting because um, another piece that I was listening to to, to kind of get more into this album, they mentioned um, a book that I actually borrowed from Greg, This Band Could Be Your Life, and mentioning Who's Could Do that. And and one of the, I remember when I brought that book back, I was like, I didn't finish this book. <laughs> it's because so many of these bands, I'm like, so many of these bands could have been, so much better to each other and with what they were doing, if they would just learn how to communicate and talk to each other. It's like, there are a lot of guys who are just like angry. They have a lot of pent up rage or a lot of, you know, unsolved problems from their childhood and like are incapable of communicating with each other because of it. And it's causing all of these issues between them because no one is actually speaking to each other. Like, I remember reading the section on Dinosaur Jr. I was
3: about to say, if it's not Dinosaur (laughs) Jr., it's got to be.
4: He just doesn't talk. And I think this and this and this is like, why don't you just find out why he doesn't talk rather than assume that it's because he hates you or because he thinks you're better. Like there are all these just things going on in people's heads mostly, but they weren't talking about it, but they were taking it out like on the stage, which is like the worst place to have it out. (laughs) <laughs>
3: you know like Thanks for you're music, gonna a
4: but... song yes but have it out by like you know beating each other or like throwing your stuff at people you know it's just like there was so much that could have been solved if these guys would have just learned to communicate and talk to each other and like that's what I think of when I hear about how there was just so much like disagreements between members of bands and yet they still like toured together and like Ugh. traveled Ugh. together and made music and wrote stuff like I that's beyond me uh, that takes a lot of of something to make that happen
3: and make that work. A lot of a lot of uh, brooding young men in the scene. This is why
2: I've always thought that the Minutemen had D Boone lived would have lasted forever because yeah. Mike Watt and uh, D Boone were best friends since childhood. So like, yeah. and George seemed pretty chill, like he was just along <laughs> yes. for the ride. Like so, like I think they would have lasted forever and never only would have broken up if. They were just tired of touring, or something along. It those seemed lines.
3: like all of their arguments were about politics and never about the band.
1: Because right. <laughs> yeah, I mean they were they were very much an everything goes. Like like you get your song and I get my song, and mm-hmm. everyone was happy. Like it was here's my you know I'm gonna read this plumbing manual because I want to. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I, some of
2: those Benjamin Rickers would have then probably become insufferable after a point, like. Maybe. Mike Watt's solo music is not necessarily the most fun thing to listen to in the world, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> I love the guy. I, he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thanks a lot for doing the show. Um, Our pleasure. Where can people get the record and follow you online and all that good stuff?
4: You can check us out. Uh, our album you can get um, on Bandcamp, Wife Patrol, Band blah, Wife Patrol.Bandcamp.com or you can check out our website, which is Wife Patrol Band.com um, it's interesting when we started making our accounts and stuff, I remember some some guy sent a message on our Facebook that was like, hey, I've got the Wife Patrol domain if you want it. And <laughs> it was like some ex-military person, their page was really questionable. And I was just like, mm, no, yeah. uh, I don't I don't really know what Wife Patrol means for you, but I don't want to get it. <laughs> We're going to block that message. Um, but yeah, com. Uh, wifepatrolband.com. band.com we're on all the social medias at wife patrol um but yeah that's where you can find us and you know maybe one day we'll we'll play a concert in your town or city one day
2: yeah <laughs> that has been my like since doing this show this year is like the year that we've really branched out to other band to bands to be on the show because before it was like friends bloggers yeah. other podcasters you know that kind of people in like our world and so like then it's like now i have all these friends and all these bands and none of them are playing shows right now so like, what am i supposed to do but yeah i'm i'm i can't wait to see what some of the stacked lineups are going to be in the future because it's going to be it's going to be pretty great yeah, whenever it actually just, gets
3: to come back we're all online making friends now so as soon as we can get out it's just going to be awesome
2: yeah um, and here's our last thing. Uh, do you have any particular charities you like to shout out or like nonprofits? Um, we like to ask people that because, you know, punk is uh, pretty socially conscious. So I always feel like we should give back whenever we can.
4: I wasn't thinking about that one. Oh,
2: yeah. That been I guess a... I should start including that in notes because I feel like <laughs> I, I surprise people with that every <laughs> every week. I
4: was um, like, what's some? Um...? I mean, off the top of my head, just thinking about, you know, what you were just saying supporting your your local scenes how best you can, whether that's um, buying music from musicians, um, buying music from your local record stores, um, you know, contributing if there is a fund for either venues or artists in your community. Um, I really encourage that just because, you know, it, you, I can shout out local things here, but I think there's so much, listeners are going to be all over the place and there's so much you can do in your communities right now for people who are really, really struggling, who have lost, you know, not only their income, but let something that brings them so much joy <laughs> in life, you know? Um, it's it's really weird not being able to to play shows as normally as you would. Um I somebody just asked me that today and I was like, I don't mind it as much because the fear and rage of everything that's happening kind of overshadows. <laughs> I'm like, I'd rather be safe, but I do miss that aspect of community and and um and being able to actually get up and perform for people. Um, so it's, it's difficult having that just be gone. And I know for a lot of people who do it even more often, there's probably even, you know, mental health things that people are struggling with a lot this year. Um, so whatever causes you can give to that can, can, that can support those parts of the community that can help lift people up, especially as we head into winter time, which is, you know, a time of the year where it's even harder for people to kind of find that hope. Um, they may have, they may be dealing with things that you don't deal with. All the time of the year, especially when it comes to getting back together with families and things like that, you know, ways to support mental health initiatives in your community, ways to support arts people in your community, arts organizations, venues. Um, buy music from from the musicians that you love. Doesn't matter if they're on a small label or a big one. Uh, they could they would love to know that you love their music enough to to make a purchase and, and show them that you care.
3: Yeah, don't don't give it all to Amazon and discogs. <laughs> Check out uh, your your local record store. No doubt has a uh, something figured out where they're, they they got to pick up if they're not opened up or anything. But uh, yeah, if you can, stretch to buy the record from the shop down the street. Sounds good.
2: So um, yeah, thanks a lot for doing the show. It was a lot of fun.
3: No, totally. Yeah, I love, love talking about this stuff.
4: Now, this is really fun <laughs> and such a cool idea. Like like I said, that when we started thinking about it and looking at the list, we're like, man, this is really hard and really challenging. But then it kind of, that's the fun of exploring something new. Um, if we stick to what we know all the time, like we're not going to learn anything new and we're not going to be able to have, you know, there's so many new things I learned just from diving into this album and, um, and reminded me of other things. So like, this is a really cool idea. And I think it's great that you do it and have extended out to, to more people.
2: Well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. A... thank. Well, yeah, we'll have to have you back too. Cause this is, this is a lot of fun. Um...
3: Oh, totally. Yeah. I could, obviously talk about this for hours like i and if if, even if it were like a different year like yeah even worse